the last couple weeks, we did this. We did a little survey. We, we call it a snapshot, a spiritual snapshot of where we are as a whole church. And we had you take this. So if you didn't, there's still an opportunity for you to do this little survey. And we probably had a little over 50% of our adults that are here on a regular basis that did it. So I think it's pretty good for a survey. But I want to give you some of the results. I'm not going to run down the list, all the stats and percentages and everything. Just some things that I learned from what you guys answered on this. And here's the first one. Crestview is overwhelmingly Christian. Right? Is that is that is that Good, because when I read that, and we are over like 99% plus, we're believers. And I read it and went, oh, I don't know if that's a good thing. Because yes, we do. This is what we do. We gather together as believers, but there's still a side of it that says our mission is different. Our mission is for those that aren't yet. And so I want to continually be a place where if somebody shows up that is not a believer in God, that we're um, warm, we're welcoming, we're graceful, we, we honor that and help them grow in that if that's where they choose to grow in. So at one point I went, yay, just like kind of you did. And I went, well, maybe not. Um, we need to maybe be a little bit better at that. Crestview is pretty even when it comes to how long you've been coming. So whether you've been coming a year or less than a year, or you've been coming five years or 10 years, yes, we've got people all across the board and it's pretty even across the board. So if you've been coming for less than a year and you're looking around saying, I don't know anybody and I feel like I'm the only new person that's here, you're not. There are a lot of new people that are in that same stage that you're in. And I wanna say probably the same amount, the same goes for how long you've been following, not just coming to crush you, but how long you've been a believer. So here's another one, don't be intimidated by baptism or membership. I just wanna encourage you on that. Make a commitment, it's all right. Don't be intimidated, don't be scared to make a commitment, whether that's to step it forward in baptism or even membership. Commitment sometimes helps us grow. So I wanna encourage you on that. Here's, here's one more thing I learned. Serving, giving, life groups all need a little encouragement. So I'm going to continually give you soft nudges in these areas all the time, serving and giving and getting into a life group and growing in that. And I believe we will always be there. And hopefully we will, because we've got different people on the scale of where they're at in their faith. So there's always going to be a group that needs to grow in that area. And so that one was okay with me. Here is a good one. I love sharing this. Um, Prayer and sharing your faith were on target for. Good job. Crest, you good job on prayer, praying. 74% of you said you pray every day, and another 20% say you pray several times a week. So that's 94% of you are praying um, several times or more throughout the week. Now, I don't know what you're praying for. It could be a good parking spot, you know, by the restaurant, I, whatever it is, but you're talking to God, and that's good. So keep talking to God and, you know, let Him speak to you and through that. So, whatever it is, keep learning how to pray and grow in that. And 76% of you said you've shared your faith in the last year. That is awesome. And if we keep doing that, then that first one that I talked about will grow. And then we'll have more people here that need to hear the story for the first time. And so that will continue. And I think we'll see results of that. Here's the last one that I want to share. And I, this one's huge for us um, as a church, wherever you're at in your journey. Bible reading is good, but yet we're so close to being great. We're like, as a church, we're right on the edge of this. We're doing okay, but okay probably doesn't get us there. We need to take just another little step, and I think we'll go over the edge on what reading this book will do for you. 
So I came across this video and I want to share this with you because I think it will help inspire you to maybe just take one more little step in your journey of reading scripture. So watch this. There was a recent study by the Center for Bible Engagement where they pulled 40,000 general population in the U.S. from 8 to 80. And they just wanted to see how we are engaging with scripture. Right. And they discovered something that actually became kind of the profound discovery of the entire study. They weren't even looking for this, and this is kind of became the highlight of the study. Right. Um, When we're in the scripture one time a week, and that could be church on Sunday. That's pastor saying you open your Bible. We hear the message. One time a week had negligible effect on some key areas of your life. So I'm going to spell that out more here in a moment. Two times a week, negligible effect. Now at three times a week, there was a blip on the map. Like there was a heartbeat. Something happened. Again, a heartbeat. But here was the profound discovery. When we're in the scripture four times a week, it literally spikes off the chart. You would expect that it'd be one, two, I mean, there'd be a gradual incline on the effect and impact that would have in your life, but it was literally one, two, three, four, something radically happens. Okay, you got my curiosity. To this extent. What kind of behavior is being affected? Feeling lonely drops 30%. Wow. Four times a week in the Bible. Four times a week in the Bible. Okay. Anger issues drop 32%. Uh, bitterness in relationships, marriage, a relationship with your kids, and so on, drops 40%. Alcoholism drops Crazy. 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant. You know, if there was one area when I'm talking with people that, that they'll be honest about is they just feel spiritually stagnant. Ask them the question, how much time are you spending in Scripture? If they're in the Scripture four times a week or more, it drops 60%. Wow. Viewing pornography drops 61%. That's very important. Now, on a flip positive side, sharing your faith jumps 200%. Wow. Because you have a confidence in God's word. And then discipling others jumps 230%. That's, That's amazing right there. Okay, so here's the deal. I love that. And the encouragement we get, not only uh, from the negative to the positive, but just the positive stuff that comes from reading this book that no other book will give you when you read it. Now, the the solid answer to the question why, do we even have one? I, I don't know. Do we have a solid answer to the question, why does this book deliver some of those things that no other book does? What What is behind it? I'm not sure I do, but if I do... Let's unpack it. Let's, let's talk about this this morning. So we're, we're, we've been in the series, and we're going to go here again today, called 2020 Vision. And it's this concept about you and your spiritual life and where you're walking and what's going on and how you see in your vision with your spiritual life and where you're going with it. So today we're going to talk about being nearsighted. Now, I, some of you are old enough to remember this. Some of you might not. But back in the 90s, there was this trend that was going around with these pictures that on the surface, it didn't look like anything, just a bunch of colors. And then all of a sudden, when you looked at it deep enough or close enough, you could see a picture within the picture. Let me give you an example. Some of you are going to remember something like this. So if you look at this, all you see is green blobs of stuff throughout. But if you look hard enough at this, right, you can see that there is something inside of that picture, another picture within it. You can keep trying on this one. I don't think it works from this angle and where you're sitting and the size of this and how it's shaped. But I, when I was a kid and, and looked at these things, I hated these things. And, and I know you're like, our pastor just said the word hate. You're not supposed to say the word hate. We don't use the word hate in our house. I don't care. I hated these things. 
Um, I'm just telling you my true honest feelings about this. And the reason is because I never could. And people would make me feel stupid. They're like, you just don't look at it right. You have to hold it close and then pull it away. And I'm like, I feel like an idiot. And it still didn't work. And I still couldn't see it. And they're like, there's butterflies. I'm like, I don't see any butterflies. Uh, I'm sorry. They're not there. Um, but this is the deal, okay? Nearsightedness. Nearsightedness is something, you know, some of you probably are. You can see things up close, fine, near, you, you have good sight, but as things get further away, you have a struggle focusing in or making those things focus to be able to see. These are the people that when they open a book or they read something, they take their glasses off, right? And then when they're done, they put their glasses back on so they can see other things around them. Well, in our spiritual life, I think we get this way often. We struggle to see the big picture of what God might be doing in our lives or the world or even for eternity with that. We, we can understand the day-to-day, give me something physical that I can touch and feel and see right now, and I can trust God with that. But when it goes outside of that perspective, man, I struggle to catch along and, and to see that. So we've been studying Peter, um, the Apostle Peter, and stuff that he said, and then maybe why he said it. How did he get to that point? So if you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 1, um, if you'd turn there, if you, if you want a Bible like with words on it, there's some on either side of the room, um, pages, you can jump up and grab some of those. If you have your phones, get your phones out and turn to 1 Peter. If you want to follow along on the Bible app, you go to crestview.me slash live. And we've got a link directly to the Bible app where this is at. And if not, if you're on your Bible app, go to the events. And we've got something there that you can follow along with. First Peter chapter 1, this is something Peter said later in his life. Um, starting verse 8, he said, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So he's unpacking something pretty big here, and he's talking to a group of people, and he's writing to a group of people that didn't know Jesus before. They weren't around when he was walking, when he was teaching. They didn't meet him in the flesh. And he's talking about this, and so this would be to us as well. Even though you've never seen him, you still believe in him. Even though it's somebody you haven't like, met before, you still believe in what they taught and it goes beyond what's right in front of you. And he closes with this, this concept, the salvation of your souls. It's a bigger deal. It's not just here and now. It's something in the future. It's something for eternity. There's this big picture in front of us that we have to be able to see through what's in front of us to be able to get to that, what could be. So there was a time when Peter and the other apostles, um, the, the disciples, those that were following, struggled with this because Jesus was there with them. And so all they could understand was what he was doing currently. And they struggled to see beyond that and get the bigger picture of the ministry of Jesus and to trust in what he was teaching bigger. So if you're still there, let's, let's turn to the um, Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke all kind of tell the same story in the same way about Jesus, and it kind of lines up. John comes along and fills in the gaps. So he tells some of the same stories, not all of the stories about Jesus, and then he also fills in places where maybe the others 
left us hanging a little bit. And so I like reading through John um, because he does this kind of thing. And John was really close to Jesus. So he's one of the, the main three disciples. Um, it was Peter, James, and John oftentimes would go away with Jesus. So he got a little extra time with Jesus and understood some of this. And he's going to write about a time when Peter, I think, got it or got close to understanding this, at least where he stepped out and trusted. So if we jump, um, John chapter 6, it's one of the longest chapters in the Bible. If we go all the way to verse 66, we're going to see something that happens here. And then we're going to back up and catch up to it. Because you, you can't just jump in here. You have to have that perspective going here. It says, after this, and it's this that we're going to understand. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him, Jesus. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Are you guys going to leave me too? Everybody else is leaving. Are you going to leave? And it's Peter that looks at him and says, Lord, where would we go? I got, I got nowhere else to go. I, I can't see beyond right now. But what I can see beyond right now, it, it's pretty empty. You're the only one that, that we're going to trust and follow. And so let's go. Now, why did he say that? How did he get to this point? Especially when many others were turning away from Jesus and walking away from him. It's puzzling that some stayed and some did not. It, it, this was Jesus. He was polarizing. There was no middle ground. It, Jesus, he, he gave a lot of grace, but he also told the truth. And when he drew that line in the sand, there were people that said, we're out. We're not going to follow. And he's crazy. And others that said, we're in. We're going to follow. They, there was, at this time, people either wanted him impeached or they didn't want him impeached. I mean, there's no one side or the other. Jesus. I'm talking about Jesus, all right? I'm not getting political with you. I'm just, this is Jesus, all right? There are people that said it was, it was KU that started it, and others said K-State started it. It doesn't matter. Depending on what side you're on, you have a strong belief in whatever it is. This was Jesus. He, he was bold enough in what he was saying, even though he offered grace. His truth was pretty firm, and it got to a point where people said, we're out, or we're in. We're not sure why. We don't understand it completely. I can't see it. It's still a little fuzzy out there, but we're in. So Peter, I loved his honesty in it. I, I, we don't have anywhere else to go. So we're going to trust you and keep going. All right, let's back up. Um, chapter 6, we're going to start at the beginning of this one. And it's a long one. I'm not going to read it to you. I'm going to kind of walk you through what happened through this time period. So right before this talk that Jesus had with his disciples, he fed 5,000 people. This is the miracle that happened where Jesus fed 5,000 people. He was teaching. He was doing some miracles. A large crowd gathered to listen to him. Like 5,000 plus people were there. And he gets done teaching and he says, all right, we're done. You know, service is over. See ya. Um, Go have a good day. And his disciples were like, dude, it's Sunday. Chick-fil-A is closed. They can't get anywhere. You know, they can't go eat. We're going to have to do something for these people. And Jesus said, all right, wh what do we have? Well, this little boy has some fish and some bread. And Jesus prayed over it. And it fed 5,000 people. And they witnessed a miracle right in front of them. They watched Jesus perform a miracle. All of these people and they were amazed. 
Um, they actually said, this is verse 14, I'm catching up here. In verse 14, they said, when the people saw that this happened, when they watched Jesus perform this miracle, this sign, they said, indeed, this is the prophet that has come into the world. This is our Messiah, right? They were starting to believe in this Jesus and who he was and what he was doing. And it says then, perceiving, this is Jesus, perceiving that they were going to come and force him to be their king, he withdrew. Now, what he withdrew from was he was saying it wasn't his time to show who he really was yet. He still had some more things to teach and unveil about him. And this wasn't the reason that he was going to become the king. So he withdrew to pray, but he sent his disciples on. He said, you guys get in the boat, you head across the sea over to this town called Capernaum. I'll meet you there when I'm done. Well, this is what happened. The disciples got in the boat, they were on their way. In the middle of the night, Jesus gets done praying and he walks past them on the water. So here they are in a boat and Jesus is walking because the shortest distance between two places is a straight line. So Jesus just walks across the water towards Capernaum. They get scared. Remember, we talked about this last week. This was when Peter got out of the boat and walked on water with Jesus. John knows that Matthew already told that story, so he's, he's not telling us that part again. But he says they were scared. They recognized that it was Jesus. Then they were comforted. He got back, he got in the boat with them, and they made their way to Capernaum. So now they have seen, the 12 disciples have seen two miracles. They've seen Jesus feed 5,000, plus they just saw him walk on water this is an amazing thing. Well, the next morning, the other 5,000 people that didn't see that second miracle, they get up and they're thinking, oh, we're hungry. I'm hungry again. Wow, I just ate yesterday, but I got to eat again. Where's this Jesus guy? Maybe he can feed us again. So they go looking for him. They go to the place where he was, but he's not there anymore. So they track him down, and they find him in this town called Capernaum. Now they're confused. How did you get here so quick? There must be something special going on. But hey, while you're at it, can you feed us again? We're hungry. And Jesus answers them, and he says, Truly I say to you, this is verse 26, Truly I say to you, you are seeking me not because you, you want what I really have to give you, you know, because you saw a miracle, but because you're hungry. You just want me to feed you. And Jesus says, don't work for the food that will perish. Don't work for that kind of food, but you should be asking for a food that will give you eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For God, the Father, has sent me give this to you. I mean, he's, he's unpacking it for him. He's telling them. He's giving them a right there on a plate. Here I am. I have something more than just bread for you. But they wanted more bread. In fact, they made a connection back to Moses because they have this ritual tradition where they remember what God did for Moses and the Israelites when they escaped Pharaoh and God gave them bread from heaven. It was called manna. And he sent bread from heaven day after day for them while they wandered in the desert. And they actually said to him, verse 34, they said this, um, give us this bread always. Can you feed us over and over? Can, can you just keep giving us this bread? If you do, we'll make you king. We have the ability to make you a king. But Jesus, verse 35 Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. 
And whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. Well, as soon as he said that, it threw him off. And, and these followers, the, these thousands of people, they gathered together. So here's my take on it. Here's Jesus talking to them, and they're right here. And Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. And they just kind of turn away from him and start to grumble. They say, how can he say that? How can he say he is the bread of life that has come down from heaven? That's Jesus. We know his parents. He didn't come from heaven. He came from Nazareth. <laughs> we know how this works. He can't say that. But here's what I catch in this. They didn't go away to do all of that. They just kind of turned to each other. And I believe Jesus is standing there saying, uh, fellas, I'm right here. I can hear everything you're saying. Um, I, go ahead and just talk to me about this. He was afraid, though. And a lot of theologians have come up with this term. This is, if you study this, this is the term that Jesus was scared. He was afraid that he would become the bread Messiah or the miracle man, right? Just the guy that would offer bread to everyone. Just supply their, their wants every day. Hey, so I don't have to go out and hunt for it or buy food. Can you just give me food every day? He wasn't here just to give him bread, though. He wasn't here just to give grace alone. With grace comes truth. And a healthy dose of both is what Jesus did, and he was great at it. He was perfect at giving grace and truth. And truth is a hard part of the message. There's so many times we don't want to hear the true part. We just want the grace over and over. But Jesus also gives truth. That's a hard one to hear. And he said it like this, look, to eat bread, like like your ancestors with the manna from heaven, they ate the manna from heaven, but guess what? They still died. And if you just eat bread from this life, guess what? You're still going to die. So if you just want bread, if you just want me to give you bread, that's not going to help you much. You need more than that. And he gives them chances over and over, and he teaches them. And he starts to talk about a thing that we call communion. And he switches from the bread Messiah to, he talks about a saying, and they call him the suffering Savior. But to them, they can't grasp this term because their Savior wouldn't suffer. Why would their Savior come and suffer? That doesn't add up to them. They can't see past what's right in front of them, the bread that they need. And to hear about a suffering Savior is more than they can focus in on. Let's go to verse 51. This is Jesus. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And then he, then he says this, and the bread that I will give you for this life of the world is my flesh. And they went, what did he just say? Come here, another team meeting. <laughs> Let's get together. Did he just say we have to eat his flesh? That's kind of disturbing. That's kind of weird. What kind of cult is this? Cannibalism is unacceptable. We're not going to eat this dude's flesh. Gross, right? And then he gets even more graphic. The next few verses, if you read through this, he gets even more graphic. He talks about it, and he spells it out, and it's like weird, and he's making a connection with them. I don't think they can catch it yet, and hang on to it, all right? If you think it's weird, I do too, all right? Hang on, though. We're going to get there. He's making a connection to their past, so he goes back to what they study and what they worshiped in their rituals. Moses, they'd already brought it up, 
and the bread from heaven. But even to get there, right before they left Pharaoh, there was a thing called the Passover. It was, it was the last um, plague with Pharaoh. And it was a Passover. And the instructions were, were to all of the Israelites to make a sacrifice to God and to take the blood of that sacrifice and put it on the door frame of their house. And it was through that sacrifice and through that blood that the angel of death that night passed over their houses, those that believed in what God was going to do. And since then, they celebrated that and they remembered that God cared for them, that God saved them from that tragedy and that God was there. And so they remembered and they would have a Passover meal to remember the salvation that God gave to them. And Jesus is coming along and he's getting ready to teach them something that hasn't happened yet. What we call communion, the Lord's Supper, the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples before he died, he's getting ready to teach them about this now in this um, chapter, but it hasn't happened yet. They're still a few months away from this. And so it's something that's out there in the future that's still a little fuzzy that they're trying to understand. And they were a little nearsighted they couldn't see beyond exactly what was in front of them. Physical food. So let's jump up here. Verse 60, we're almost there. Verse 60, when the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that the disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, so are you guys offended by what I just said? And yeah, they were. Because he's kind of talking about their tradition. And what they do, and he's talking about eating flesh, and it's, it's weird. And so he gets to verse 63. I want you to look at this one. Verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spiritual and life. And he makes the connection with them, saying, no, I'm not going to make you eat flesh. That's not it. I'm making a spiritual connection to what was done in your past, your history, bringing it current to today and what's going to last from here on out. It's a spiritual connection that he's making with them. You got to look beyond just eating food to what is going to feed your spiritual life. And catch this. I'll jump down to verse 66. This is where we started. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him because they stopped feeding them. He didn't give them food that day. He didn't meet their physical needs right then. He stopped meeting their selfish needs of what I want today. And the way I see it, Jesus let them leave. They said, fine, if you're not going to give us food, we're out of here. And he let them leave. He didn't chase them down and say, fine, fine, I'll give you some more. In fact, he didn't chase them down and say, guys, you're going to love this change. This change means bacon. I mean, now you can have bacon. You haven't had bacon before, so let me introduce something to you in this. I mean, there was a change in what they could eat even after this physically. He didn't chase them down and ask for it. He let them leave. Is that unloving? Is he being hateful? I don't think so. I think he's setting up the truth. Grace and grace and grace had been offered. And now he's telling them the truth this is what it's about. I'm going to stand for this. This is what I'm trying to teach you. Even when truth is used correctly, it can hurt. And I believe that those that left that day left hurt. 
They were hurt by what he said because he left them hungry. And they were saying, hey, Jesus didn't meet all of my physical needs today. And they were probably hurt by the truth that Jesus told. I think he was also making a connection, though, to something that was going to come. There was something that was coming next. And his 12 disciples, they didn't know it either. They didn't know what was about to happen just a few more months from this point when he would sit around with them the night before he was crucified and have one last meal with them, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, communion. But at this point, he still has to teach them, so he turns to his 12. It's verse 67, and he says to them, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Don't forget why you follow. Why do we read this book? To answer that question from the beginning, why is this book so important? Why is it important for us to understand this versus other books that might help us out in life? I think it's the why. And it's not about knowledge. Books can give us good knowledge, but this book gives us something beyond what's in front of us, the knowledge that we need for the day. It gives us a relationship with a person that can give us food that goes beyond physical. It's a relationship with somebody that gives us spiritual food that won't just last for this lifetime, but will last for eternity. And if we stop at just wanting knowledge, we won't understand who he is But when we break it down and we understand who he is and what he did, we then can trust of why we are following and the reason I'm following him. Even if I don't understand, Jesus, I got nowhere else to go. I don't understand it completely, but I'm going to trust that you've got something out there for me. And I'm going to continue to trust in you. Sometimes it's hard to see through the immediate and see the bigger picture. But it's so important for us to see that Jesus has so much more for us. So we're going to take some time this morning and remember that and celebrate what we call communion. So if the guys that are going to serve today would make your way to the back and prepare and get ready for this. I want us to prepare ourselves in this. So what Jesus did on that day with his disciples, he made that connection to their past and the Passover meal that they did and what God did for them and the blessing that God gave and the manna from heaven and God did supply their needs for them. And God is saying to his disciples now, I'm getting ready to set something up for you. Just like the Passover lamb back then, I am becoming that Passover lamb. And what's gonna happen from now in the future is something different. And instead of making sacrifices and remembering the Passover, we now celebrate the sacrifice that was made in Jesus. And we don't continue to make that sacrifice because he made it for us. He became that spotless lamb for us. And so when he was sitting around with his disciples on the night that before he was betrayed, the night that before he went to the cross and died for us as that sacrifice, he said to them, here's some bread. And he broke the bread and he said, this bread is like my body. This this is my body that's being broken for you. 
his body is going to be broken. It's going to be sacrificed. And he took some wine and he passed it around and he shared it and said, this wine is, is the blood that's going to be shed for you. That blood that was on the door frame. It, this is it now. This is for you. He said, whenever then you gather together as a group of believers, I want you to remember what happened. So he took something that's physical that we have to do every single day, which is eat in order to survive. He took that physical thing and he made an application to it to say it's not about the physical food that you eat, although I'm going to use it so that you can remember the spiritual connection. So you can see beyond what's right in front of you and you can look out. You won't be so nearsighted that you can see what's out in front of you as well. And this physical food when you eat it should be a spiritual reminder that Jesus became our sacrifice for us. His body was broken, his blood was shed, and that sacrifice now covers our sins and gives us that eternal life forever. So these guys are going to pass around some trays, and in the trays are a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice. And I'd encourage you, if you're a believer in what he has done, um, take one of each and just hang on to it. And then remember what he's done, and then when you're ready, you can take that at any time. If you're not a believer, I'd love to share with you. I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about who Jesus is, what this means to you on a personal level. Please come and find me afterwards. Let's pray together, though. Father, I'm grateful for your son, for the gift that he gave, for him being willing to follow your advice, your lead, your direction in coming to be our sacrificial lamb to be our sacrifice so that we don't have to continue doing that and so that it is perfect. Thank you for that grace that you offer that even though we are sinners and that sin in our lives, we can't get there to that future. But because of what you have done, we're grateful that your son has become that sacrifice for us. Now we take this time to remember him, to remember his sacrifice, to remember what he has done for us and how gracious we are for him. Father, we love you, and it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.